This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Welcome, everybody. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com. Hope you're having a great day out there. We've got a big show coming your way. We've got uh, El Hombre, as we do every Tuesday at 5 o'clock today. At 3 o'clock, we'll get some insight on some Alabama prospects with uh, Christian Miller, who's part of their broadcast, will join us at 3 to give some insight as we see more and more mock drafts coming out and Maybe an Alabama player ends up with a Seahawks. Who knows? Just depends on which mock draft you'd like to believe. Uh, so lots of lots of different ones. I saw one from Mel Kuyper that had them trading back to nine and taking the quarterback out of Florida wow. at number nine. So, I mean, they're all over the place, all over the place. So it's, it's, it's getting fun. I, I love it. I love the ones that have the trades in there because some of them you scratch your head and go, why would that team do that? Yeah. And then, then the, the Seahawks trading back to nine to go with the, the kid out of Florida. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. But we'll we'll talk more about that. Well, it would still still be in the top ten. So that's why I would say, okay, I think I think the Seahawks value the top ten. And, you know, if they have a chance to pick there, they're gonna pick. I think they, they feel like there's you know I, I feel like they think there's not necessarily thirty two first round picks. But, yeah. But sometimes there's like ten or fifteen. So I, I would be but you know, in that scenario with uh, you said it was Mel Kuyper. Yeah, then, his, I think it's his most recent one. Yeah, I mean, then you're still in the top ten. You trade back. You get what well, we talked about. We root for desperation from other teams. Yeah, we want them to be desperate uh, to get a quarterback. If maybe there's, you know, you see every once in a while, and this does happen, where there's a run on players. I was part of a run where a bunch of linebackers got picked, and um, yeah, that that's that actually happens. You know, you see a lot of teams that, that value it differently. So, yeah, it'll be uh, lots of fun with the speculation all the way up till uh, the end of April. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I want them all to kill it. I want them all to kill it at their pro days, wherever they're working out, just to have the, I want everybody to come out of there. It's one of the best pro days I've ever seen and have teams that want a quarterback, that need a quarterback, get desperate and trade up. And maybe, maybe you get the, if you get the Bears and the Cardinals to trade out of there, which yeah. I, I don't know if you do that with the Cardinals, we'll see, but. There's rumor I sent you guys articles about the Bears leaning towards moving the pick. Who knows right. what they're going to do? But uh, those are the two teams that are presumably not taking quarterbacks that are ahead of the Seahawks. So you need we need both of them to move out so you can get Jalen Carter. Well, and it's it's interesting with the Bears that we also heard that Justin Fields was going to be on the move that they were going to trade them, and then it and then now we're hearing that they're going to trade out of that first pick. So what are they going to do at quarterback? Not sure what's what's going on with Chicago Bears. I don't think anybody else knows either. It's all everybody's just bringing up scenarios, and I've got a source who said they might do this, or they're leaning this way. I think it's you know it's the ultimate uh, poker game. Everybody's sending out a little misinformation, a little smoke signal here, a little misdirection. I think it's all part of the game that leads up to the combine and the draft and all of that. Oh, and let's be clear. We don't give a crap what the Bears do uh, other than if they make a move that like to, yeah, trade that out of there helps and get the Seahawks. Yeah, then get behind the Seahawks. We'll take that. That'd be, that'd be nice. Uh, meanwhile, you got spring training baseball going on. The Mariners uh, have had some good things going on, some things that haven't been great, but it's spring training. And, and it's, to me, it's, 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 I'm watching more about the, the mechanics of the game 
almost as much as I am the players. Like, obviously, yeah. I'm interested in the players and how does Kelnick look and how does this guy look and that guy look. But I'm watching the mechanics. I, I'm I'm really dialed into this whole thing. And and the uh, now you're not talking about mechanics of specific players. You're talking about no, mechanics, mechanics of the game of the of the rules yeah. of the new rules. How does it look? How different does it look? Can you, is it as big a deal as we've made it out to be? So far, I'd say the bases have, have had no impact that right. I've seen. I know we're, we're what are we four games in? I understand that, uh, but I haven't seen anything that's said. Wow, if not for those bases this would have been different last year no i haven't seen that seen some hits that would have been outs you know without the shift certainly seen that the clock the the clock is is very obvious and i love it i love it games are down i sent you this article last night saying uh, spring training games are down 23 minutes on average over the weekend i mm-hmm. think the mariners have yet to play a game that's hit 230 I believe everything's come in under two, two two and a half hours. Two twenty nine was yeah. the was the most uh, we talked about that yesterday. Two sixteen. I mean that's really blazing fast. Yeah, but yeah, it was interesting. You know, Brock, because you're right. I mean, the bases. I mean, that might happen every once in a while. I just vaguely remember last year, maybe three times where they're looking at a, a guy sliding into second, and mm-hmm. whether the the little uh, rawhide string touches the guy's <laughs> cleat or whatever. But, you know, so that might be, I think you're right. The shift will be sort of over time every once in a while you see stuff. But, yeah, the pitch clock, it was a little it was a little on the annoying side to me. Um, and you know what was interesting? We talked to Brock yesterday, and he said, when you're at the games, it really doesn't come through. He said, mm-hmm. when, you know, when, when you're there. And also we found out that, you know, they're showing that pitch clock at spring training from the center field view. Ryan Roland Smith, or maybe it was Mike, uh, said that's going to be off to the side. So yeah, you're not going to see it during the broadcast, but you see it during spring training. So, but, you know, we saw a game end, bases loaded, two strikes, gets a third strike because of uh, taking too long. And then I think the Seahawks and Manny, or Seahawks, Mariners and uh, Manny Machado made history by uh, getting the the very first one on Friday. Yeah. Yeah, it's been and it's happened in multiple games. I was watching a few games over the weekend and and uh so it's it's happened multiple whether it's been the pitcher that's taken too long or it's the hitter taking too long. You've just seen that that come into play and it's it's been interesting. The one thing that stood out to me and I again it's spring you always have to qualify it. I haven't seen anybody throw a fit. I haven't seen anybody get all out of sorts, especially in the, now if it's regular season and you end a game the way that one ended, maybe we're going to see people throwing their hats and yelling and screaming. Who knows? But, you know, you remember when they brought in the rule about checking pitchers after yep. the inning and they got to, you know, they take off their hat, they look at their glove. And initially you saw some babies out there. You saw some petulant just <laughs> handing their stuff. I mean, just like, oh, all right, we get it. It's a, it's a, 22nd inconvenience just mm-hmm. it was you saw it on multiple occasions just this like they were just being put through the paces and oh my goodness I can't believe I've got to do this I haven't seen any of that yet maybe it happens in the regular season but yeah. so far that's a pleasant surprise because change isn't always easy as for these guys have been playing a certain kind of way and and things change and as you saw with that rule checking for substances on pitchers they didn't they didn't receive it very well initially now it's like you don't even think about it and they, and they've they've streamlined it too. They're not taking off the hat. They're they're kind of just feeling the fingers. All right, go on. I think they had one guy take off a belt, and yeah. you know, so they've kind of streamlined the process. But there was a, there was a lot of seemed like a lot of resistance to that versus this so far. Yeah. Well, 
Let me ask you this. When you were watching the games, did they make a big enough deal about so that people in the stands and because, you know, we, we heard from on Friday when you and I were talking to Gary Hill, um, you know, that like Rick and Dave broadcasting the games, were like you, you can't take your, your eye off the field, mm-hmm. you know, but was there enough, you know, like, hey, that's a strike. Or, you know, also it comes down to being a little bit of a judgment call because the batter's in the box and he's got his, you know, bat ready to go. But what if he's looking at the pitcher out of the side of his eye? If he's not facing the pitcher, <laughs> you you call him, you know, you call the strike? Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know how much leeway there is, how much gray area. You so know. I wonder if that little transaction right there from when he gets in the box, he's got his bat, maybe he's looking down, maybe he's not looking at the pitcher. But, you know, I could see an argument to your point of uh, I was looking at him. I was looking at the pitcher. Yeah, you know? Maybe... maybe. I don't. I don't know what the specifics are. Maybe they need him in his stance facing him. Uh, you know, I. I don't know. I don't know how they're making that judgment. That's. It's a fair question, though. I mean, because somebody could use that. And say, hey, I'm looking at him. I'm ready. He throws yeah. the pitch. I'm ready to swing. And just because I didn't have, you know, I was back on my back foot and I was facing him directly. This is how I do it. This is my approach. So yeah, it could I, be. I don't know if you heard the call where the guy gets out. Did you? We had that clip yesterday, and the guy—it was like he was announcing a World Series game. I mean, he's the like, guy. Oh, and the base is loaded. One, yeah, 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 yeah. Loaded. He's like, and he's out. You yeah. know, just screaming and yelling. I was like, I think they're excited. Up? I think everybody went into it with questions like, "What's it going to be? Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal?" We were all speculating. So to see a game end that way, I get it. I get it being exciting, but you know, players so far, from what I've read. Everybody seems to be, for the most part, on board with it. Matt Brash on on with Brock and Salk talked about uh, the impact the pitching clock, the pitch clock, has had so far. Pitch clock's very interesting for me. I tend to work faster, anyways, but there is moments where I do like to catch my breath because sometimes maybe I, I lose it a little bit. And I need to go to the rosin bag and take my breath and reset. So the pitch clock does speed you up a little bit. So it's going to take us some adjustments. Yeah, it's going to be. Fun to watch Diego Castillo out there who had taken eternity and uh, just every particle of clothing he had on in his mitt and his hat and everything else. And we heard Seawald talk about it saying, he, what did he say? Is I got to take like six seconds off my routine? Or He likes to do the shoot the arms up in the air. I never felt like he was that deliberate, but I, I guess he is. Maybe, maybe just because Diego has so many more things to watch. Because he's, you know, the pant legs. He's got a bigger uniform, too. The mitt. (laughs) He's just, you know, maybe Seawald was just standing there and it didn't seem as obvious. But, yeah, he said something about cutting down, you know, six seconds off of whatever it is that he has to do. And then Julio, in the the, uh, postgame on Monday, yesterday, talked about adjusting to the pitch clock. Um, I think so. I think so. I feel like I like I like the new rules personally, you know, like and I speak for everybody, but I feel like I'm not a guy that's going to be doing too much in the box or like things like that. And like I think two and a half hour game every day, getting getting back to bed early, having a nice sleep, getting ready for the next day. I feel like that's going to be huge, especially for us. It's, we fly so much. We're always on the road. And I feel like it's going to be it's going to be key for us. And I feel like the time that gives you to rest and like kind of just basically hang around at the end, at the end of the night. It's not going to be as short, or like leaving at 11 p.m. or like almost 12 every time that you mm-hmm. basically finish the game, have like a nice little routine for recovery. Like you got time to at least like have a nice day. That's the first time I've heard anybody put it that way. And that that's kind of interesting because, you know, I did a little calculation based on 30 minutes at times 162 games. It's like 81 hours mm-hmm. and like three and a third days. You know, so 
we're getting robbed as fans. Some people don't think that. Some people like the snappy pace, of course. And I hear, uh, brought this up with Ryan yesterday that MLB is selling the heck out of it because, you know, I was listening to a game on MLB Network just while I was working. And, you know, they're talking about how, well, the good news is if it's a school night, you know, you can get your kids home uh, and get them in bed early, <laughs> which I'm sure the kids hate. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're really trying to, to sell that. But hearing it from Julio about, yeah, I mean, at the end of the year, they'll have 81 less hours playing a baseball game. And like he said, you're on the road. You can get on your plane a little bit easier to go to the, you know, when they do a getaway game. So, yeah, maybe uh, it sounds like the fans maybe complaining a little bit, particularly on, on TV. But the players, I've not heard much of a peep at all. No, haven't heard any. And any for that reason. Blowback. I mean, it's early. We're four, I guess, five games into the into uh, spring training. So it's obviously going to be a much bigger deal when a game means something. You know, again, that, that game that ended on that call with the bases loaded, everybody seemed to take it in stride. Now, if that's a regular season game, might see a completely different reaction. Maybe we're not, not such big fans of these rules <laughs> at that particular moment. But yeah. to this point, it's all we've got to go on. It's all we've had a chance to see. And I I like it. And I'm I'm kind of more old school for the most part when it comes to baseball, but so far I'm I'm in I'm in favor of this. Well, and I, I think to me the overwhelming thing. I mean, look, we're looking out for the fans, of course, but I, I think the players really. I mean, it's less wear and tear on them. It's a it's a shorter game, and you know they're they're not having to stand. You know, that was one of the things. I think it was Greg Amsinger told us last year, two years ago, that. Getting in shape for baseball sometimes is just standing in the outfield for a really long time. Yeah. You know? And so now it's going to be a half hour shorter. So uh, whatever's good for the players, I think that's uh, that's an interesting point. Meanwhile, the uh, big story earlier in the week, or last week, I should say, was the whole story that came out in The Athletic about Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and John Schneider and him supposedly going to ownership, trying to get them fired, and he denied it. and. All of that stuff. Well, Pete is out there at the Combine Combine happening, and, and of course he was asked about it and answered it in a very, very Pete kind of way. A similar response that it's always been with, with the guys that I've coached, that um, I'm always going to hang with them, and I'm never going to leave them, and I'm going to be there at the end of all of the good stuff and all of the bad stuff. I'm going to still be there. And so uh, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm hanging. And uh, it doesn't matter who the guy is. If you look at all of the guys that have come to our program, just – not go back to the college days, but just here at, at Seattle, regardless of what has happened, has taken place, or the things that have been said at all, if you hang with them, it all comes back around. And uh, I'd like to demonstrate that faith in the relationship and the depth of what yeah, we did together and uh, and hang through whatever the growth challenges bring to, to us along the way. So I'm good. So hang with him uh, by the time he got done there, because I was going to ask what does he mean by that. But he's talking about just being friends with them, being having a relationship, hanging with them through the good and the bad, kind of like a uh, marriage, right? You know, that's... And, I wouldn't know, uh, Dave. <laughs> I think I'll take your word for it. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, for better, for worse. It sounds like that's that's interesting. You know, we yesterday on Bump and Stacy, they had Kaylin Collar, or Collar. She was the third um, author of, and really she handled the whole Denver side of that, but... Mike Sando and Jason Jenks also worked on that. And I think for everybody here in Seattle, the outrageous part is that, you know, that he went to to ownership and wanted Pete and John gone. But 
you know, when you start reading the other part of it, and I think she, uh, Kaylin, yesterday said that she thought the, the bigger deal was, you know, what he did in Denver and how unprecedented that was. Both things unprecedented. I mean, that's that's the thing about Russell Wilson. He's, you know, he's done a couple of things that nobody has ever, well, that we know of. I mean, we hear mm. about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers basically in that article was talking about how the, there was times where he would, you know, the coach would put a play up and he's like, no. That's not going to work. So, I mean, that's that's kind of crossing the line, right? Yeah. I mean, then there were implications that he got uh, McCarthy fired. There were yeah. implications. I mean, so I don't know that if if Rustin, and I maintain if I don't I don't know for a fact what the hell happened. We're just reading the article and he's denied it. There's he's you know the guys that wrote the article saying it happened. Okay, I I don't know, but if it happened, I don't know that he's that unique. It certainly became public. But I, I got a feeling somewhere through the history of the NFL, some player, maybe it was Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he did have something to do with McCarthy leaving. Maybe, you know, somebody has, has used their their the weight of their presence in that building to influence a, a decision, with whether it's a GM, whether it's a, a coach. Uh, what, who knows? I don't know. I don't know how unprecedented it is. We I know we haven't heard a story like that that's come out in detail like that, but... I don't know. I, I've got to imagine it. I don't think he's the first. I'll just say that. If he did it, I'll, I'll say I don't think he's the first to do it. Well, maybe not in that direct, uh, I would say in that direct manner. You know, I mean, it, maybe it's there was, you know, a couple of conversations that, you know, but as far as anyone going to the to the owner and asking for them to be fired. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of interesting that I know one of the one of the coaches that he really wanted to work with was Sean Payton mm-hmm. and Sean Payton to talk about the other side over in Denver. What happened there? First thing he said is, yeah, that's foreign to us. The whole thing about him having his, you know, open door policy and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's it's definitely a huge story. You know, we talked to Brent and, you know, every, everybody very interested in, in this story just because, yeah, for for if you take it at its face, this is uh, this is pretty unusual that this that this happened. Uh, one more before we get to take two. And we, we t- I told you about Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft that yes. has Seahawks trading back, I believe, is to number nine. I have to go back and look at it. But I think it was number nine and taking the quarterback out of Florida. So that's that's his mock. You take it for what it's worth. But Pete Carroll was asked about the possibility of taking a quarterback, not at nine, but at five. Here's what he said. We are totally connected to the quarterbacks that are coming out. Um, this is a really huge opportunity for us. Uh, it's a rare opportunity. We, you know, we've been drafting in the low 20s for such a long time, you just don't get the chance with these guys. So we're deeply involved with all that so they're in tune with the quarterbacks what that means who knows i don't know maybe they have a maybe they've got a a a passion about one of them we'll find out it's kind of interesting to hear him say that but uh i don't know i I guess i'm opening up more to the possibility that they could go quarterback i i feel like their needs are so pressing on defense that especially if there happens to be a scenario where jalen carter's sitting there yeah they how do you pass them up but it's the Seahawks, and you just never know. You never know. Condota was saying today with Bump and Stacy that you know you could see them possibly signing Geno and still drafting a quarterback. Uh, all right, let's take two. Well, Pete Carroll mentioned it earlier at the combine, and then the Eagles made it official a few hours later. They've hired Sean Desai as their new defensive coordinator, and also uh, Austin Blythe, who was, I guess, no longer is a free agent, announced his retirement uh, about an hour ago as well. I don't know. I don't know how big of a loss that is or isn't with Desai. I mean, it was one year. Uh, overall, the defense wasn't great. 
as, as a collective. You know, they had elements that were better than others, certainly. But in, in terms of his impact and, oh, my goodness, what are they going to do without him? I, I don't think he was here long enough to kind of have that feeling. And yeah. then Austin Blythe, he, he had talked about retirement before. I don't know even if he were going to continue to play, whether the Seahawks were going to bring him back or not. So, but, you know, good for him. He goes out on his terms. Yeah, he seemed like very much a family man. He had his kids down on the sidelines uh, quite a bit. Only seven years. I'm jokingly called him an idiot just because I would have <laughs> liked to have stayed in the in longer. But good for him. I mean, anybody that can go out on top. As far as, yeah, the, we, we felt like we hardly knew Sean Desai. The one thing that they did really improve, they went from 31 to 13, is the pass game. And from what I understand, he had a lot to do with that. But... Uh, as far as the defense went, it, it wasn't nearly what we thought it would be as far as a turnaround. All right, well, this story keeps getting uh, more and more wild. We have details now on why the FBI is investigating the Washington Commanders and Dan Snyder. ESPN's Don Van Natta Jr. has a massive story out today about a $55 million loan that Snyder acquired without the knowledge or the required appro- approval of his minority partners. So that's a direct violation of the franchise's shareholder agreement. He's doing something underhanded, under the table, out of sorts. Weird. This guy, he's a creep. I mean, I read another article, I think it was on Yahoo last night, that he's he's getting mad at owners that don't have his back and, and other owners are now sort of resuming talks of how do we get this guy out of here. And he just seems like an absolute thorn in the side of everybody. Yeah, I I really would like to see him. Although, you know, we wouldn't have take two. We wouldn't have this take two story. I mean, how much do we talk about Daniel Snyder? Just keep, he's a wellspring of material. He creeps into every conversation, and I do mean creeps. Yeah, goodness. All right, take two is brought to you by Swedish Cyberknife. Treat prostate cancer with Swedish Cyberknife. Swedish.org slash Cyberknife Prostate. Coming up, there might be one thing we're learning about the Mariners lineup from these early spring training games. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at 3 o'clock, we'll get some insight into Alabama's prospects in this draft and who may fit with the Seattle Seahawks, potentially, depending on how trades work out and who's sitting there, who's not. So uh, we'll be talking about that coming up at 3 o'clock. Stay tuned for that conversation. Meanwhile, just a few games into the pre- into the spring training, obviously. But one of the things that, um, that, that we talked about and that I was kind of harping on and even talking to Brent and, and uh, Gustafson in there today about just Julio in the leadoff spot, it'd be great if they could find somebody to occupy that spot and let him be in a position to really do some damage, uh, whether it's the two or the three spot in in the order. It's, it's been interesting. And I in spring, you're always messing with the lineup. You don't always have your starters. you got all kinds of guys you're trying to get in there. So it's it's you don't want to put too much into any anything. But first four games, they've had Wong hitting leadoff twice. Actually, three times because I think he leads off today. Uh, Julio's let off once. And then they had, uh, I think they had uh, Haggerty the other time. So it seems as though they're playing with it, the idea of it. And maybe, you know, deep down they would like to see somebody else be in that spot because Julio's your best hitter. You want him to be able to be in a spot and do damage. You know that more often than not, hopefully the guys in front of them are going to be getting on base. 
um, when you're dealing with if he's the leadoff, you're dealing with seven, eight, and nine in front of you. Maybe they're they're not going to be on base as often as you'd like. So uh, it's just interesting to see what they've done. And and Jerry, remember, he was asked about it and asked how long Julio will hit in that spot. And here's how he responded: uh, for as long as he wants to. There's <laughs> a you know, 17 years, if I had to, to plug one single number. But, I mean, truly, it's it, some of what we talked about moments ago about the, the, the way speed has a chance to, to change in the game or, or the implementation of speed on the bases in the years to come might shift us back, you know, toward what, uh, what leadoff hitters look like 25, 35, 40 years ago. But right now, leadoff hitters, oftentimes, they're just your best hitters. And, you know, get them the extra at bat, hit them at the top of the order. You know, who's our best guy at getting on base? Probably Julio. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you do want to take care, uh, take advantage of those of those power numbers. But I'm trying to think of uh, who else that they had leadoff. Remember last year, at one point, Jesse Winker. Which, uh, which made sense in that he got on base. He walked a lot. He yeah. had a terrible year hitting, but his on-base percentage was actually pretty good. Right. Yeah, and I, I just remember there was kind of a flap about that, and, you know, Service was like, well, actually, he has uh, been a leadoff guy. I think Frazier was that guy uh, for a while. But, you know, it also kind of brings into into focus how important Kelnick is and that the guy that's owning the pitch, I'm, I owned every pitch, he had a quote yesterday, but he had a good day. A couple <laughs> home runs, man. I mean, he he's, is that what he said? He's I good. owned every pitch, yeah, something like that. Was am I? I'm paraphrasing, but I think that, that was actually a direct quote. So, huh. yeah. Uh, Smell but, you later. Hey, however he can get that done. You know, we talked with uh, Ryan Roland Smith about um, that he needs to have a little bit more. Uh, and this is what Ryan was saying: he needs to play with a little bit more joy. Because, mm-hmm. like, his reaction when he got the Gatorade dumped on him was he was not happy. I heard he was just cold. Yeah, we heard that, too. But, I mean, <laughs> I just I just wonder if, like, maybe that's what needs to change for him. Maybe he needs to just uh, have a little bit more fun, and he's not having any fun right now. But uh, how can you when you've been just the top of your class, you've been the, the best hitter, you've always succeeded, and then all of a sudden it's not working for you? Well, and yeah, he he could go a long way in helping it if Julio's your leadoff hitter, and we assume that Kelnick would be somewhere in that seven, eight, nine range. I don't know how the order is going to shake out, but maybe it's something along the lines of of Kelnick and J.P. Crawford, and I don't know when Pollock's in there. Maybe he's in there. I don't know. I don't know how. Maybe Cal Raleigh's down there. I don't know. I don't know what what Scott's going to do. But it's it's not just Kelnick. It's it's yeah. any any of those guys down there. You just want them to be able to get on base via hit, walk, whatever you got to do. So that Julio is coming up with a chance to do damage because again it, it allows them the opposition to pitch around him and yeah maybe they're going to put him on maybe they're going to not give him anything to hit or square up and they'll live with the idea that maybe he's going to be a problem on the base paths but I think that's a that's probably preferable if you're the opposition than him coming up with a runner on or two on right that's a that's a much more damning scenario if I if I'm the opposing manager. I, I feel much better about, all right, give him first. Let's not allow him to be up in a position with runners on where he can really do some damage. Well, it's kind of interesting to hear from Jerry. Uh, when we had Scott Service on our show, I think you asked him, Bob, what, what's the blend between sort of the human being himself and the numbers? And what Jer- uh, Jerry DePoto was talking about there was that nowadays, 
your leadoff batter is just your best hitter. And uh, supposedly the, the numbers are starting to, to show that. And that's the way the, the Major League Baseball is going. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't uh, analyzed everybody's lineup to oh, see. I haven't it. either. I, I mean, I know but Mike Jerry... Trout is not your leadoff hitter. <laughs> I, is but... Shohei Otani your leadoff hitter? No. No. So but, I, I don't know. It's, it's that's that's what he said though. I mean, you know, and I'm I'm assuming he's tuned into the numbers. But yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of with you on that one. I, I feel like maybe he can. You know, you look at his uh, his extra base numbers, pretty solid. Uh, Scott Service was was asked about this as well. Talked about Julio hitting somewhere towards the top of the lineup, and he and, and he likes that leadoff spot. Yeah, so, I think you know there will be. He's going to hit at the top of the order somewhere. One, two, three, something like that. And there'll be days that, you know, he leads off. I think you guys know how I feel about the leadoff position. Um, I like when you flip the lineup over, there's a guy with a, a real threat to hit the ball at the ballpark. I think it, it, it does something. Now everybody says, oh, you know, you want him to hit with guys on base. It's one at bat. And if you look at the depth of our lineup, there's going to be some guys that are hitting in the 8-9 hole that get on base. So, um, you know, whether it's one or two, that's probably where you're going to see him most of the time. You want to make sure he gets as many extra at-bats as he can. What was he doing in the beginning of that cut? Yeah, I think, you know, there will be... (laughs) Sometimes... Yeah, I think, you know, there... (laughs) I think he he sometimes is like... Kind of like Pete, he kind of screws around a little bit when he answers the questions. It's like, okay, here we go. How many times has he answered the question about leadoff there? (laughs) But, you know, the other thing... I don't know, Dave. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's saying, look, uh, there's going to be some guys on base. Well... Okay, we'll we'll see. I mean, he's got to be positive about it, obviously, but you know, we'll see if that works out. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, and maybe it'll be a, a thing that varies from game to game. Maybe it's about the matchups. Maybe yeah. they like Wong in this particular matchup against this pitcher, and maybe they like Julio in this one. So maybe it's a fluid situation. Again, the the easiest solution for me is somebody that would just like to see maybe a more traditional leadoff hitter, just Julio more more important, not even about tradition. Just give me give me Julio in a spot to do as much damage as often as possible. That's what I want. I want him to be as consistent of a threat as possible, and I don't know that, that hitting in the leadoff spot is, is that spot if the bottom of the order isn't getting on base. Now, I'm not assuming they won't, but they're at the bottom of the order typically for reasons. They're not your best hitters. Based on past performance. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, they could go a long way into making this a, a really a really solid decision to leave him there because hey, JP's getting on and Kelnick's getting on and whoever whoever's down there. They're 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 finding ways on base. That that goes a long way into solving whatever issues I may have or anybody else that, that agrees with me that hey, you know, yeah, he's he's and it's not even about him as a leadoff hitter. He's done a great job. I like I like it. He's, but he's your best hitter, and he's the one that has the chance to do the most damage. So put him in that spot. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like, at what point do they make a change if it's not working? And it'll be it's something that's kind of interesting to keep your eye on. I mean, I think, uh, obviously, the averages this year, there's a lot. There's a lot going on, especially with the the Mariners. You know, you talk about Kelnick. You talk about their pitching uh, starting rotation, whether they can stay healthy or not. You know, some of the guys like Brash and – all of the Los Bomberos, or as JP would say, Bomberos. Mm. Uh, you know, that's there's lots of, and just stuff in general in uh, in uh, baseball, Major League Baseball, just because of all the rules. But uh, that that one right there has probably been the hot button, I feel like, so far. Who's going to lead off? 
Yeah, yeah, and it's it's probably different from club that people are texting in. Oh, don't don't emulate the Angels. I wasn't saying emulate the Angels. I'm just Jerry said that you know teams put their best hitters at the top of the order in the leadoff spot these days. And I don't know everybody's order. I'd have to go through and look at everybody. I was just Angels have two of the best hitters in all of baseball, and I'm not saying they they are the model, but they don't hit leadoff. Is yeah. the point. So I don't know. I don't know what the Mets do. I haven't paid attention to what the what the Dodgers are doing or the Phillies. Or I don't think Bryce Harper's leading off for the Phillies. I could be wrong. I haven't watched a lot of them, but I, I don't know that well, that's the case. Lombard. It's more the point about yeah. It's more the point about that. That's just how it's done these days. I don't I don't know if that's true or not. But meanwhile, we'll we'll see what they do. I like he's done well. I like it, but I'd like it more if he were just in a position to really, really make them pay. Don't forget, tonight you can join Stacy Ross and Mike Lefko for a special one-hour show, 6 to 7 p.m., live from Media Row at the 88th Annual Sports Star of the Year Awards. The show will be streamed live on seattlesports.com and will include special guests from the Seattle sports community, so tune into that. Meanwhile, spring training is different this year for Scott Service. I'll tell you what we're talking about next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at 3 o'clock, we'll talk with Christian Miller, Alabama alum. He's also part of their broadcast team now, so we'll talk about some of the players coming out of Alabama in this year's draft. That's coming up with Wyman and Bob. Meanwhile, spring training underway as we've been talking about. Scott Service going into this one with a little different I don't know if it's attitude, but different level of expectation, different vibe after making the playoffs for the first time in over two decades. So that getting that monkey off your back, so to speak, is one thing. And then the expectations that come with it different. Here he is just talking about what makes this spring different than the past. The process that we go through every spring, I know myself and coaching staff, I'm really big on going back to ground zero. Start over again. Don't assume anything. Even though now we, we do have, uh, you know, some some of the same faces in here. You know, mm-hmm. we've, we've built some trust with our players, and they understand the program, but don't assume anything. Uh, it goes back to the old Vince Lombardi principles. Mm-hmm. You know, you still got to, you know, start with what got us here and, and continue to harp on that about controlling the strike zone and things like that. So if that stays the same, I think the difference a little bit, you do have relationships with guys. You understand them a little bit more now. And I, I, I will say it's nice to see our guys carrying themselves a little bit differently, and they should. We, we gained a ton of experience last year, and along with that comes a lot of confidence with how we played down the stretch, and, and you see that confidence walking out on the field every day. So our guys know where we're at. We know we need to continue to get better. Because, you know, they, they're a team, and I don't know how many of these young guys have a sense for it, but you see, like, Lefko's doing the uh, Seattle Sports Star of the Year and Story of the Year tonight and everything. It's the Mariners after 20 years, you know, and that's that's a huge deal. But I think I feel, I feel like a lot of these guys not aware of that. And then just I, I think that there is kind of a, a little bit of an expectation. Like they know. It's like Luis Castillo. Remember, Service told us about Luis Castillo coming in and just kind of giving everybody the confidence that, hey, this is a playoff team, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody. And so now they know that, you know, they went. Everybody always we always talk about the. The Astros series, which they, they took them to the wire uh, pretty much, although everybody's like, yeah, they swapped them in the Houston fans. But you forget about the, the Toronto series, having to mm-hmm. go up there and getting that done. I mean, this is a this is a team that should expect to be good. Yeah, and and I think they I think that is a great byproduct of last year is that this team 
you know, the, I'm, I'm sure almost to a man, everybody that was here last year is looking at this with that expectation. Yeah, the fan base has expectations, but I would say so do the players. You know, they went through it. And, and maybe it wasn't as big of a deal for them. I think they're obviously aware. They hear, oh, 20-year drought. and But they didn't live it. You know, that was Julio's first year. He wasn't living with that burden. Nobody, you didn't, you know, all the guys that were kind of wearing it, if you will, are gone. Whether it was mm-hmm. Seager, uh, you know, Hanniger was here. He was the longest tenured guy. But, you know, you, you, these guys, a lot of them, Cal Raleigh and the, all them, they didn't, they didn't really. Got to go out and do it. Got to get in shape, get ready to go, and, and get it ready to tee it up on uh, March 30th. What's Brock doing in there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He did it in the last cut, too. It's like something my grandfather used to do when you'd be talking to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had Brock on yesterday, and uh, there was a, a something on Twitter where he was, we, we made made fun of him, kind of exaggerated, that he was staring at uh, Jared Kelnick's workout kind of in a creepy way. You oh, know? he well, he, he owns that. He's always kind of creepy when yeah. it comes to body evaluation. Talks about people's calves and and whatnot. Yeah, he's he's yeah. He's, he's out there. But, he's out there with it. But he said, "Yeah, I guess I was oogling him, <laughs> oogling." <laughs> <laughs> so he got caught up between Google and Ogle, and uh, <laughs> I was oogling. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I mean, you, you, one of the things, and he went on and on about uh, you know how, which I think is is a peculiarity with uh, Brock that is somewhat charming. Uh, but he was going on and on about Kelnick and how he looks like a, a strong safety or a running back in the NFL. But you look at him, he does look really thick, and he's doing this thing where he throws the ball against the wall. Supposed to, he's a. I mean, I don't know how much different he looks this year. I haven't seen him, but last year you'd see him in that clubhouse with the out of shirt. The dude was. Yoked. Solid. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was, you know, his struggles weren't due to lack of conditioning. I'll say that. He's he's putting in the work. He's putting in the work. And I'm glad Brock was impressed. I'm glad he was happy with his physical <laughs> being. That's good. After he oogled him yeah, for after he got done several minutes. Him. <laughs> hey, by the way, Lefko, what are you wearing tonight, man? Uh, I'm thinking. Uh, Just this. No. Oh, come on. I got tux- a suit. I got a tuxedo. No, I'm not that fancy. Uh, yeah. All right. yeah. Okay. Maybe if you guys were going, I'd do the tux. You'll but... be greeting people on the red carpet. You guys have tuxes or no? Would you? I do one? not own a tux. No. Bob, you own a tux? Nope. Hmm. Neither. Yeah. <laughs> All you right. Go rent it. I, he doesn't have a boat, and he doesn't have a, a yeah. tux. I'm not fancy. I'm not a go. fancy guy. Yeah, fancy people have tuxes and boats. That's right. All right. Coming up, Christian Miller played at Alabama. He's part of their broadcast team now. He's going to join us to discuss their draft prospects. That's coming your way with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten.